My guest today has been described by colleagues as an extraordinary sales executive. With a thorough understanding of her speciality, she can be heavily relied upon to reach her goals and has a can-do attitude and demonstrates a strong work ethic throughout all her undertakings. Her outside-the-box thinking, problem-solving and relationship-building skills contribute to her impressive leadership. Here's another quote. There are leaders and then there are visionaries. Jennifer is both. Not only does she excel as a sales leader by exceeding her team's targets each month, people want to be on Jennifer's team. Executives want to learn and adapt her sales strategies. Here's one more. Jennifer is one of the most upbeat and positive persons with whom I have ever had the pleasure of working with. Jennifer Fisher, you're very welcome to the podcast. What, what a wonderful introduction. It's, it's an absolute pleasure to be here. Thank you. Pleasure's all mine. And again, these, the, these are said by people you've worked with. And I had, there were so many more. In fact, I had to take three that I, I took from. I had to cut them down. There was so much more in them. It would take the entire podcast to read them all out. <laughs> but there is, oh, there, gosh, is, fabulous. There, there is a kind of a constant thread throughout it as well, which is, is, is around positivity. That's, that, that's a common theme in a lot of the testimonials that are on LinkedIn about you. And, uh, and I'm just curious to know if that's something that's conscious or were you always like that? <laughs> that, that is funny to say. A lot of people comment on that. And, and it, it is something I, I have innately. Like I have always been a very positive person. Um, and that, that really goes to the can-do attitude. And it's all about having fun. Like I absolutely love what I do. And you know what? We're gonna get through this. We're gonna. We've had some hard times, and we're gonna keep going. We're gonna make this happen, and we're gonna have fun doing it. Um, but yeah, being positive and always seeing that glass—not only half full, but all full—because we're gonna we're gonna go out and we're gonna make some very good okay, things happen. Okay. Well, it's my goal, Jennifer, before we finish today, to extract the essence of that. How you do that? Because I think we could all do it a little bit more of that for sure. <laughs> but I'd like to go back a few years, and maybe you could tell me a little bit about where you grew up and what you were like as a child. Absolutely, absolutely. So, you know, I, I grew up in Erie, Pennsylvania. Um, you know, I have always been a very much a social butterfly. I think that's how my teachers always describe me, you know, at, at like parent-teacher conferences. I was always the social butterfly, always wanting to make friends, always wanting to help people. Um, you know, if someone needs help in this, I'm, I'm there, hey, you know, little Susie, I, I got you on this. and. You know, it's just something that is part of me, and I've always really loved that. Um, after growing up and, and graduating from college, I, I moved to the big city of Washington, D.C., where I spent the majority of my career so far uh, working in higher education sales there, which is really where I got my start, um, and just fully love it. Like, I just love everything about sales, and for me, that when I say sales, for me, that really is about the relationships that I'm building um, you know, with our prospects, with our clients, with our university partners. And, and again, it's, it's helping them, you know, finding ways that I can help them, how my products or services can help support them. That's my number one goal. Like I'm an extension of, of them and their team and I'm there to help them. And I just, I can't think of anything better than, than doing that. Well, I'm curious, when you grew up, you said in Pennsylvania, did you move around much? Was there something? No, you you grew up in the same place. Yep, yep, yeah, we, we did. Yep, no, didn't move. Yeah. That, it was a big move when I went to Washington D.C. That yeah. that was the big move. 
that's really interesting because that social butterfly phenomenon is often, uh, it, it, you often see that in people where, for whatever reason, their parents moved around a lot and they had to start in a different school every year and therefore they learned from that to adapt and, and, and be the, the um, what's the word I'm looking for? Just, yeah, just to, to be able to quickly build rapport and make relationships with people. You know, that's a good point. I never actually thought about it like that. And that, that makes sense. And, and that definitely was not me. Like, it was very the steady Eddie, you know, same friend since, you know, since yeah. I was a toddler all the way up. And um, that was probably why when I made the announcement that I took a job in Washington, D.C., my family just about had a heart attack and thought, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? Um, but yeah. to me, it was it was just a, a big adventure, and why not? Like, why not go a, and do something? How much of a culture sh culture shock was it going to DC? It was pretty big. It was a it was a real big culture shock, um, yeah. and I loved every minute of it. You know, that was I mean, gosh, that was almost thirty years ago. <laughs> Still yeah. at my age, but that was uh, it was definitely big. But I loved every minute of it, and I just thrived. And you were selling educational what software? Yeah. So no, so what we were doing, um, I worked for a company called The Chronicle of Higher Education. And so working with colleges and universities in their advertising. So doing, you know, recruitment advertising was the biggest part that I did. Dabbling into a little bit of, of image advertising, what we called it, but really working with them. And again, helping to solve problems. There was a need that they had, you know, in, in, in positions that they're trying to fill. And we were also helping people find jobs and finding that fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So again, that, that just meant, meant a lot to me as well. But yeah, working really uh, selling advertising for, you know, for over 20 years. Yeah, I might come back to that in terms of how that differs from what you're doing currently and yes, what your yes. company's doing. Um, but uh, it's clear to me reading through the endorsements and testimonials people have left for you that you have inspired many other people and you have influenced many other people. What I'm, what I'm interested in is who, who are your influences? Who in, but if you go back when you were younger, who influenced you most and maybe how, how have you added to that over the years? Absolutely. You know, growing, growing up, I would probably say, you know, my mom and my dad were, were my biggest influencers. Um, just, you know, amazing people who, who worked hard to provide you know, a good life for their children. Um, you know, and that just taught me the work ethic. We have to do what we have to do. And then, you know, once I got into college and, you know, moved to Washington, D.C., it was able, you know, to be able to identify mentors and people that I want aspired to be. You know, this is, you know, I always use the term when I grow up, right, even though I was in my 20s, but I'm like, oh, that's, that's who I want to be. Um, and, you know, one of those mentors, in fact, I'm now very good friends with, you know, a good friend of mine, Laura McFarlane, she was really an inspiration for me, you know, from the beginning of my career and just helped, helped me, you know, see what this could look like, where, where I could go with it, not just where I am right now. So it's huge inspiration to me, you know, throughout those years. I'm still not sure what I want to be when I grow up. So <laughs> I, I, I don't know that I ever. <laughs> I, I always use that term, but I grow up. <laughs> yeah, no, who wants to exactly? Who wants to grow up? Sure. That's right. Yeah, and um, talk to me a little bit about then about the, the sales. What you learned from your sales role in Washington, that type of role that it is. I'm always fascinated by different types of sales jobs 
environments and and what we learn from them, not just about ourselves, but also about humanity. And, uh, and, and sales, I don't know that there's, well, there are, I'm sure there are better ways, better jobs, but I think sales is a good one in terms of if you want to learn about how the world works and about how humans, what makes them tick and so on. And I wanted to understand what, what you learned. Absolutely. You know, part of what I love about working in the higher ed space is, you know, higher education in and of it by itself is a very collegial environment. You know, they're all about helping people, teaching students, you know, and working. And I just fell in love with that aspect of it, that people, you know, people were out there really just wanting to help other people. And, you know, how can we work together to do that? And part of that was then learning about the higher education systems, the universities themselves, administration, and really understanding this whole new world that I, I really didn't know about. And it's really its own ecosystem, right? It's, it's their own thing. But at the core, you know, higher education is really about, you know, supporting their students and helping each other. And I just thought, you know, my gosh, how amazing that I, by chance, just kind of landed in this field. And I, I just am very fortunate every day. Yeah. I'm wondering in that market, certainly my perception of it is that buyers in that industry are very risk adverse. Is that fair? Yes and no. I mean, I think I think generally speaking, yes. Um, but you're going to find um, there are those those universities that it's important that they are on the cutting edge. They want to be seen as the innovators and, and leading the way. So it all depends on the type of university, and a lot of that goes into maybe the size of the university as well. But yes, I mean, there are many that, you know, they want to be the first ones to do this. They want to be the innovators and, and showcase, because that's big image for their university. If they're getting funding for certain things, they need to show that they're able to go out and do these things and be the first one to do it. So it's, it's, it's an interesting dynamic between mm. all types of universities. Yeah, because often the individuals in those are by nature quite risk adverse as well. And uh, that, that I, I always find that it, risk adverse people the hardest to sell to. By nature, there's a resistance Court, right. there that you don't get with quick decision makers. Um, That's right. I wanted to also explore with you, one of the things that was again a constant theme in what I read about you was your leadership skills. Um, talk to me a little bit about your values when it comes to leadership. If you were advising somebody or you're yeah, uh, educating somebody on, on, on leadership and on its importance and, and what's important, what Absolutely. would you be telling them? You know, my, my values with leadership really center around the team that I'm leading. You know, I really very much align with that servant leadership. Um, it's all about empowering others. And that's why I believe that's why I'm, I'm in a leadership role so that I can help coach, mentor and empower others to see their potential and to see what they can become. And having that genuinely is just so, so strong. And, and part of that is what resonates with the team. I genuinely care that I want my team to succeed. I want the individuals to succeed in, in what they want to do. Um, and I think being part of that servant, servant leadership is, is really where that's at. And, and being a visionary, because you have to paint the picture 
and help people see that picture as well. And, and then, of course, that ties into, you know, effective communication. You definitely have to be able to effectively communicate your vision, um, communicate to your team that you're there to empower them. And then that's a safety. They, they build trust. And then as you're doing all of this, I feel like that's exactly what I'm doing with my clients and my prospects, right? It's all about service. Um, and I feel like it, they, it all comes together very well. And once you have that trust, um, I mean, they can do anything. And that's what I love more than anything, um, just seeing my team succeed, seeing them grow, and, and ideally, you know, growing at my company. But I'm also a proponent that if, if they find the right fit that's outside of our company, I'll be their biggest cheerleader. And I just makes me very proud. One of the things that people talk about when it comes to servant leadership, and it's again, it's a reoccurring theme about that, wanting people to succeed, being there for them. And I'm often curious about what happens, or not what happens, how do you deal with it when somebody isn't as committed to their own success as you are to their success, or they don't want it enough for them, for whatever reason, as much as you'd want it for them. How do you deal with that? Because I can imagine there, there's tension in that place. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, and but I think it, it comes down to where, you know, almost like being a parent sometimes, you have to, you have to step back, you know, and if, if that's not their vision and they're not as committed, you know, doesn't mean it's wrong. It's just, it's, it's they, they have their own values, they have their own ideal of what they're looking for, what they want to do, and it, it's not wrong. Um, and, and so again, my job is to support them along that way. There are many people that I've had, you know, unfortunately leave at any of my positions and they, they say, oh, you know what, I, I'm just, I'm not a salesperson and I'm gonna go do something else. And sometimes I, and I say that to them when they leave, like obviously I'll, whatever I can do to support you, but I'm always like, don't, don't sell yourself short because I think you'd be a really good salesperson. Um, but at the end of the day, that's their decision. They have to do with what aligns with them and however that works out, you know, I'm there to help them. One of the things I find with people is that as, as, an, as a natural introvert is that I can go out meet people and behave in an extrovert way, but it exhausts me. I need to go back and, and, and lie down and have a nap. <laughs> and and I, what I wanted to ask you was from a leadership point of view in terms of all of the things that you have to do, what are the tasks that you, you may do them well, but, but they leave you exhausted. You need to re-energize and recharge your batteries after it. <laughs> well, that's funny that you say that. Um, I just, was just having a meeting with my boss this morning, you know, so, so working on all these Excel spreadsheets and, and building out the budget and putting the numbers together. And again, I play to win. I keep track. I'm, I'm a winner. I keep track of the scoreboard. I have a... But me sitting in front and putting my spreadsheets together and updating my budget sheets, I think exhausts me to no end. <laughs> I mean, I, I like to be, you know, around people. I like to be communicating with people and, and working with people. So that that's probably one thing of me just staring at spreadsheets isn't, you know, that 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 does wear me out, and I actually will get a headache too. <laughs> you probably love filling in expense forms then as well. Oh yes, yes, that's right. That's where I try to get somebody else who has their credit card. I'm like, okay, put it on your card so you can do the expense report. I'll approve it. <laughs> yeah, 
It's funny that because I, I used to find that as well, the same with the expense forms and that. I, I, I would leave it go until I was so out of pocket that my wife was giving me grief. I had to go into deep, deep pain before <laughs> I would take on the task. That's right. Uh, I, I find the ones where there isn't associated pain, like forecasting or those kind of things. <laughs> true, true. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. And, but what about your, your team? So it's one of the, you know, all leaders have to forecast and have to, you know, that's an important part of the job. Absolutely. And so how do you manage it then when it's a chore because it's just one of those activities that it's, it's, it's not you? How do you manage it? You know, it's one of those things you just have to keep keep moving through it. You know, it is it is something, you know, you'll get through it. And at the end of the day, I need I, I have my scorecard and I love showing that I'm winning. I love showing that my team is winning. So the end result is what keeps you going because I want to get this. And then I immediately want to start putting my strategies in place because we're going to hit these numbers and, and here's how we're going to do it. So once I get to that point and I know that's coming, like that's that's all you do. You just give me an idea for a great new product. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna beta test it on you if you don't mind. Oh please, please go yeah. ahead. It's a forecasting tool for people who hate forecasting. And what it is, it's it's based on Excel, so you don't need to invest in in, a, in you know new infrastructure. Yeah, I love it. And what it does is it takes last month's forecast or last quarter's forecast, and you can. You can decide, or you could take last year's results, right? So you can take the source information, and then you apply a random numerator. So you can move it up by a random percentage amount, and you can adjust okay. that so it's, it's, it's not too wild. The swings are not too great. And then along with that, it can have a random excuse generator. So <laughs> that last month's forecast, you don't want to just copy and paste it because People will pick that up and they'll go, you just copy and paste it. You do yeah. need to change it a little bit, up or down a little bit, just enough that people notice that it's changed. And then associated with that is a reason why it's changed. Yeah. So we invested in training last month. That's why it went up. It went down because, I don't know, something to do with the economy. You could tie it in with that. I'm just wondering. Yes. You could do that and then you'd never have Love to it. forecast again. And you know what? I would... I would hazard, uh, sorry, I would bet any, a, a small farm <laughs> on the fact that nobody <laughs> would notice if you put in those numbers like that. I love it. That, that works for me. I think that'd be perfect. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Then I'd like to get in, it, just it, it, your, your experience on sales leadership, uh, what I've heard so far, you, you say that, that the, the, as, a, as a kind of a, at a macro level, the philosophy, I guess, of servant leadership is really important to you. Um, I, I believe in it. I, I think it's, it works. It's not without yeah. its limitations. Obviously, you don't want people taking advantage of it either. And I think that's always where the, the line right. is. Right. Um, right. And, I, and I think you have to be a strong leader to manage that so people don't take advantage of it. Or just so that it doesn't get out of hand and people are drifting. I, I, I don't think that's good either. And yeah, so absolutely. I guess holding people accountable. It's huge. And holding people accountable is, is huge, especially in the sales realm, right? Like we do have numbers we have to hit and no joke, like we need to hit them. So I'm here to help you 
you know, strategize with this customer or what we can do. But at the end of the day, we, we do need to hit our numbers. You know, we do have goals we have to hit. And yeah. that's, that's how we measure your success or, you know, the yeah. people's success. Um, so there's no doubt. And it does take a strong leader who can do both, right? We've got to inspire people. Um, we've got to paint that picture. But at the end of the day, you also have to perform. You have to do your job. Um, and they have to be held accountable. That's so important, especially in, in the sales world. Talk to me about your transition from sales into leadership. What was that like? What, you know, what was it? were you one of these individuals where you were picked out for leadership because you were good at sales? Or was there <laughs> something else? Talk to me about the transition and also what, what, where, where you had to adjust, I guess, and, and, and the speed bumps along the way and the lessons you learned. Absolutely. You know, and, it, and it's interesting because, you know, there's so many different stories out there, especially like you just said, right? You know, you're, you're a phenomenal individual contributor, so you're promoted because of your sales skills, but now you're, you're managing and, and you're in leadership. Um, you know, that didn't quite happen. I, I think what, I think my, this is my, my personal view of kind of what happened is, is obviously I was very good as that individual contributor, and I don't think anyone wanted to move me out of that and move me into a, a sales leadership. And that is a direction I wanted to head into. And, but I, I, it was a struggle to, to, to do that because, you know, at the time my company's like, Oh, you're, you're, you're killing it here. Like we don't want any of that to change. So it was, it, it was very difficult. So what I ended up having to do was really just show them, that I can do this, you know, and you always, you know, the same, like you, you dress for the job you want, you, you have to also, you know, be doing the job you want mm. to help people see then all of a sudden like, oh, it's really not that big of a deal to have Jen in this position because she's kind of already doing this. So I had to like start showing them that I was coaching another sales rep or that I was helping in this area or that I started, you know, putting a, a forecast together. Or I, you know, I started trying to show value in the leadership role that made them think like oh my god well she's already doing this we might as well like make it happen officially so that was that was kind of my my strategy of, of sneaking in that way i'm always fascinated with what attracts people to sales leadership because it's not something i've ever done myself i went from individual contributor into starting my own business and i, I never went through that curve of, of managing teams and I, and I kind of I was never attracted to it because I, I, I want to say I, I won't, for a long time I didn't understand sales, you know. But we all have those breakthrough moments when it makes a lot of sense to us. Sure. But leadership just—why would anybody want to take on that all that hassle? <laughs> because you can make good money in sales. You said you were killing it, so you were probably making good money. Yeah. And now, now you've got to try, now you're, now you're being held hostage. Your, your salary is being held hostage by these individuals and in terms of how they decide to perform when they show up. That's and right. Unfortunately, we can't whip people anymore. We can't beat them in a corner. And <laughs> <laughs> we have to it's motivate them through pros and... That's right. That's right. You know, that, trust me, that's, that's what my husband was saying, too. He's like, oh, my gosh, you know, and, and, and he was like, you know, and, and if sometimes if there's, you know, things that didn't work out, I'm like, well, you know, Susie over here or Jimmy over here, like they didn't hit their numbers. That that affects me now. Now yeah. I, you know, that, so the goal is that, that you don't want that to happen. And that then I think that's what comes into the, the leadership. My goal is to make people successful. 
and um, and that's that's what we have to focus on. Yeah. Um, you got to paint that vision, and you've got to be able to effectively communicate that vision. But then there's the tactical, especially in sales. There's the tactical of all right, let me sit with you on this phone call. Let me go with you to the presentation. Let me, like, we've got to, you know, whatever we can do, like, I'll be there with you and helping you through it, but we got to win this deal. We have to close this business. How hard is it then when you're, what, you said you go to a presentation with one of your reps and you're looking at them and they're not screwing it up, but you're looking at it going, oh, you should be doing this, you should be doing this. How hard is it? just sit there and just take notes oh it's horrible it's so hard especially for me and that that actually has been some of my growth uh, because I would I'll just be like let me tell you some more about this you know and I kind of take over the presentation and you know at the end of the day that's not helping anybody so I mean obviously they're seeing it but it's not helping anybody so I really part of my growth into the leadership is I I really had to learn to uh you know, like this, this, you know, let me, let me help you with this. And then yeah. I will sit back and, you know, we'll go out afterwards and have a drink. And then, you know, we'll start talking about, you know, how we could, you know, improve or things that they did very well. We want to keep doing that. Um, but it's hard, especially for somebody like me, who's the extrovert and loves to, loves all this. Ooh, it's very, very hard. <laughs> yeah. Uh, one, you said you take them out for a drink and then you give them feedback. <laughs> I'm wondering, is there a is there a relationship there with how many drinks they need to have consumed before they start taking it personally? <laughs> there you and go. There glasses you go. around the bar. That's right. That's right. Oh boy, Jen's taking me out for a drink. This isn't going to go well. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. They yeah. don't think that, but yeah, it's funny. Yeah. I once heard it described that it is hard, it is easier to teach an introvert to speak up and ask questions than it is to teach an extrovert to stay quiet. I would agree with that. You'd agree with that, okay. I was just, just for my own you, experience, would I would agree with that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You're, you're clearly an extrovert. You, you get your energy from people. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and much to my family's chagrin, my, my husband and my son are very, very introverted. Yeah. And, you know, they, I just drive them nuts when we're out at restaurants or heading out. And my poor son is like, oh, my God, Mom, will you just quit talking to everybody, you know? And, and I have a loud laugh, and I'll laugh loud. And, and he's like, oh, my gosh, Mom, you're embarrassing me. And I'm like, what? What happened? I didn't do anything. What's going on? And, but, yeah, so it's, it's, it's a balance for sure. Do you, I've, it's funny because my sister-in-law is, is, is like that. And I was, she now lives in, in Fort Myers. Oh, and yeah. She would walk up to strangers in bars, and all of a sudden she's bringing back these strangers to the table. Oh, look who I met! I met this person. She'll she'll have their life story in <laughs> in chatting to them within three to five minutes. And yes. I'm almost fascinated by it. I would love to see her in sales. Yeah, you know, I guess you'd be fabulous. Are you, are you like that? That where you'll you'll very much, very much so. Yes, and I enjoy that. I, I love it. <laughs> Love to bottle that up. I mean, it is. It's infectious. It it really is. It's good, and, and, and I, I, I do love it. I do love it. But it's uh, if you could bottle it. Yes. Yes. Really uh, a, oh my God! I'd make a fortune if I could bottle it up and, and sell it, huh? Yeah, for sure, for sure. So, talk to me then a little bit about um, go, going back to the you said in the transition, I guess, from sales into leadership. 
he said, yeah, it, it, is a, it, it can be a struggle because you're now kind of hostage and you have to achieve your goals through other people. That's right. How many years have you been in sales leadership now? Just I've been part. in sales leadership probably a good um, 22, 23 yeah. years. Yeah, I was, I was going to guess 20 from your, from your CV. But yeah. talk to me then a little bit about the sort of the bigger picture lessons that you've learned along the way, the things that made you kind of go, hmm, about, about yourself, first of all, and then about people in general, things that might have surprised you about people. You know, that's, that's a tough question, you know, because I think being in, in sales, there's already so many different people we interact with on a daily basis that they're all different and they're all unique. Um, and I think, I shouldn't say I think, but one of the things I've noticed about myself, whether it's been through my sales career, is I, I'm much, I'm very much understanding and accepting of all people, um, all diverse people, all different thoughts and opinions. I mean, that's what makes the world go round. And so I, I'm very, very comfortable with that and very accepting. Um, and in fact, sometimes when, when we don't have like some diversity of thoughts, that, that, that bothers me. You know, I don't, I don't want everyone all agreeing with me. Like we've got, we've got to have some, some other ideas here because I'm, will tell you, I am not the smartest person in the room. So I, I, I want to leverage everybody else and, and let's see what we can make together. Part of that leads me, I think, into my career that I'm in right now in, in sales is working for an educational travel company called World Strides. We work, basically, I, I head up the, the higher education division and in higher education, it's, it's all study abroad. So again, learning about the diversity in the world and going to other countries and, and meeting people, some of the biggest takeaways that I've had in, in some of these travels that I've done is that we're more the same than we are different. Like, you know, I'm, I'm meeting with somebody in Shanghai and we're having conversations, we're more the same. Like, you know, and I really felt that there'd be so many differences and, and there are different levels, but in our hearts and who we are, we're all the same. We're the same people. We smile in the same language and, and everyone's working hard to provide for their family and doing the best they can, no matter what situation they're in. Um, and that to me was just amazing. Yeah. And it just makes you feel really good that, that you're part of this. Yeah. <laughs> when you said that about people from other cultures and countries smile, they, they smile the same way and often have the same interests and likes and things that they discuss them and so on. And I always think back to when I remember I was seven, my family, we went camping down <laughs> west of Ireland because uh, nobody traveled abroad in those days yeah 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 uh, unless you're really wealthy right and yeah. um, there was a German family on holidays in Ireland and so this was 1972 I was seven years of age okay and so that's not desperately long after the war I mean it's what 2020 20, uh, 72 27 years yeah something like that you know, when, when I think back from now in 2021, 27 years, not that long ago, right? <laughs> no, exactly, it's not, yeah. So in terms of memory, and, and, and I grew up listening or not uh, reading a lot of, you know, mostly British comics, 
uh, sure. what would you, you know, I don't know what you call them in the States. Would you call them comics? Probably comics, yeah. Yeah. And some Comedians, of those were comics, kind of superhero type ones. Yeah, some oh, of them yeah, were about football, and, and some of them were just kind of goofy Mickey Mouse yeah. type type of uh, <laughs> yeah. characters. And then they had ones that, and I can think of the name of one of them, was called Battle. And it was always about war, always. And it was okay. these, I'm sure they were based on real events somewhat. But uh, it was always the same. The, there was the baddies and the goodies. And the Germans were always the baddies in it. And I, I, I learned my first German words from those magazines, like Hand der Hoch and uh, Schnell, Schnell. Like, I, could yep. still, I can still see them. <laughs> and, 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 I, and I give that as context to, that's what I kind of grew up with and, and those stories. And now there's these German kids in this campsite. And I'm fascinated by this. And what's even more was there was these twins, they were seven years of age. And we got to be, we got to play football with them as we got to know them as kids. They didn't speak a word of English, we didn't speak any German, but we still, this is the amazing thing. Yeah. We, we still had great fun together just playing uh, uh, football. But what I, what I remember most and being fascinated by was hearing one of these kids whistle. They were just going along, right, whistling whatever tune they were yeah, whistling yeah. to. And I was fascinated. I went home to my dad and said, you know, when you whistle in German, it's the exact same. Yeah, that's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and that was a real, that one of those eye openers, the seven years of age, even to say that there was a humanity there that no matter what we grew up with, the, the kind of, you know, as, as a kid, it was, you know, it was, again, not that long after the Second World War. But then to, to experience it as a child, with a child's understanding and a child's yes. eyes. Yes. There's no, there's no, um, there's not discrimination, it's not the one word I'm looking for, is uh, prejudice or. Exactly. Yeah, it's, it's, yeah. it's different. And I, and I guess. Yeah, the stereotypes and the prejudices, yeah. like it's just, it's, yeah, it's stripped away. Yeah, and, and, and what I'm hearing from you, what you're saying is travel has done that for you as well, that you've seen other people Absolutely. that you may have a different perception of, but then when you go abroad, you kind of realize, you know what, we are all the same. So exactly. Things. There's so many more, yeah. so many more um, things yeah. that are the same than there are different. So you clearly traveled a lot. Here's what I'd like to ask you. Talk to me about a place that surprised you the most in a positive way. That's and, and easy. Point. That is easy. That that place would be Israel. Um, oh my gosh! You know, the when I went there, which was just a few years ago, you know. I'm watching CNN, you're watching the news, you're watching these things. And, you know, I was a little apprehensive, not sure what, what was going to happen here and, and what was going to see. It was the most beautiful place I've ever been. It's absolutely gorgeous there and absolutely the nicest people you'd ever want to meet. There was nothing, you know, I don't know where CNN's filming because I wasn't any place that I was. And I was in Tel Aviv and, and in Jerusalem. It was amazing. I loved it so much that I, kept, I keep telling my husband and son that, you know, I want to take them there for a vacation. It, it was phenomenal. Which was um, and I think that would surprise me. Which was What's your favorite, that? Tel Aviv or Jerusalem? You know, both for different reasons. You know, Tel Aviv, oh my gosh, what an amazing, amazing city with entrepreneurs and innovators. And it's beautiful right on the Mediterranean. 
and it's just this, this hustle and, and you know this 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 greatness happening people are coming up with these great ideas and so I love that energy and then obviously like Jerusalem you know with, with the religious history there was just I mean uh, unbelievable unbelievable so yeah. they, they both were good and so different but amazing yeah it's funny I, uh, I had been to Jordan uh, for work and I remember having uh, maybe a few hours to kill between work finishing and catching my flight. So I drove from Amman to the Dead Sea. Yes. And, and from that point, you're looking across uh, at Israel. And I remember looking across thinking, and you're going down, and this is John the Baptist Way. This is in Jordan, right? And yep. then I, th I thought, you know what? And at the time, I, I, I had mixed feelings about visiting Israel. I didn't know whether I did or didn't want to go there. Yeah. And then I was contacted by the CEO of this software company one day. He said, Paul, he said, I'm watching a few of your videos on um, LinkedIn. And he said, I'd love to get you out just to, to you know, give a talk. And I said, just pay for a ticket for my plane and I'm there. And I had said that before I even thought about it, right? So obviously yeah, it was that. Yeah, yeah. Now, I didn't spend, like, I didn't spend much time in, in Tel Aviv. I was with those guys, but the, what had happened was he was onboarding a few new employees and he wanted to, as part of their onboarding, take them on a trip because a lot of them were outside of Israel. There were, some of them were Jewish, some of them were not, but they were all coming from different parts of the world. And he nice. said, we'll go on a trip to Jerusalem. He says, Paul, do you want to come? I said, yes, please. And so I yes, had to stay with them and he had organized somebody to do a tour. And it was like a foodie tour as well as a historical tour. Oh, and then wow. I had two days after that on my own just taking photographs. And I have to say, that's oh. yeah, why this the most fascinating place on the planet. I, I don't, I'd be curious to know if you had the same experience that I had. I was there after two days. I couldn't wait to leave. But as soon as I left, I couldn't wait to get back. Yes. And, and, yeah. I, I, and it was only when I got back and I thought about it and I thought I, I, I had to analyze this understand why why did I just want to get out of it and actually I think it was just was my first time in, in my life to experience a culture shock to experience so many things that are so different from my world that you're actually overwhelmed yeah and yep, so yep. you're moving you know if you're if you're doing the religious tour and you're looking through what is it the the, the, oh, the yeah. most important site for, for Christians the most important site for Jewish the third most site for Muslims yes and, and I think for people who haven't been there the the fact that you can walk such a short distance and it's almost like you're in a different part of the planet and then i remember being in this little coffee shop and there was these to me kids that might have been 18 19 years of age <laughs> sure, and they're sure. sitting around having a little cup of coffee having a great time just chatting and i look over and there's this machine gun on one of the kids laps and i look around and they, they all seem to have guns beside them or, or on their laps and the guy I was with, the guy who brought me over, uh, I said it to him, I said, what's this? And he said, yeah, he said, they, they have to be on high alert. And they're ready, he said. W once they join, they have to do a certain amount of service. When, you know, two years, I don't know the exact time. Yeah. But um, he said that one of the things that they'll do is, is they all have to have a, have a weapon at home. But somebody from their, some commanding officer will actually sneak into their house and try and find the weapon and oh take God. as a lesson so they, they, that's why they all carry them around so nobody else will ever get their hands on them but just just that kind of weird to me that's really weird now i'm coming from a culture sure. where 
it's not like the US where guns are quite popular. They're illegal here in every way. And in fact, our police don't wear guns. So, yeah. so that's what I'm saying to me. That's a, it's a huge yeah. culture shock to see that. Yeah, and, that was uh, huge for me as well, because I don't I don't um, I don't actually see a lot of guns, you know, here either. And, and you know, it's it's yeah, yeah it's, it's unnerving and it's uh, like, oh, gosh. But, you know, it's part of learning that culture as well. It's it's yeah. it's different. Yeah, so it is fascinating. And then the food as well. I mean, oh my gosh, phenomenal. Yeah. yeah. So unfortunately, COVID came along then and that stumped that plans to go back because I wanted to go back. I had this dream of doing photographic tours of oh, Jerusalem. That'd be but, wonderful, yes. Oh, it is. It is because there's so much. One of the things I found was that take, taking photographs of people, if you're inside, say, the Church of the Holy Sepulchre and you, you see yeah. people, you could be, when I'm, you know, two or three feet away, even less, and you can, you're taking pictures and nobody, because they're all in their head, they're wired to wherever they are in, their mo in, their, in that yeah. moment. They're not noticing what's going on around them. It is yeah. a wonderful place. How about it? It really is, I agree. Yeah. Um, we'll, 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 we'll be just irritating people now who have never been there. And we'll, and <laughs> That's no right. intention of ever going there uh, for whatever reason. Talk to me then about some of the, if you're traveling a lot, the, the downsides and things that irritate you most about travel? I mean, for me, it, it's, and I think with a lot of people, it's the logistics at the airport, your luggage, you know, and, and just, and sometimes, you know, you're, you're a little cranky because you're tired, right? You've been, you've been on the run the whole time. There's time zone differences, luggage issues, and, you know, you're waiting around at the airport. So a lot of just those basic, you know, logistics, I think that everybody else gets. It's just like, mm. oh, you know, but we'll, we'll get through it. Yeah. I said at the beginning, I wanted to come back and tap into that positivity gene that you have. You obviously have a way of framing situations. So, uh, I want to understand that. Is it something that you're conscious of that you're, I see with my wife, something will happen and she said, well, at least it, this didn't happen. Or, yeah. well, one of the, you know, she'll always look on the bright side. That's and, right. Uh, That's right. And that's you too, is it? Absolutely, absolutely. How do you maintain that? You know, it's just, it's one of those where I think for, for me personally, you know, I, I don't want to dwell so much on the negativity stuff. I don't want to dwell so much. And if it's, I mean, not to say that bad things don't happen or I'm not disappointed, I, I am. But there's also times where it's like, you know, there, there's a time where you can be like, okay, you know, some, this bad thing happened or something really negative happened. But then there's also a time to, to move on, right? You have to you have to acknowledge it happened and be ready for it. But for me, it doesn't do me any good sitting in that state <laughs> and, and and just sitting there. Like I need to be doing something to to help fix it, to adjust, to move on, and let's focus on something else. And that was one of my I think my my big mantras that I always you know coach to my team on is you know controlling focusing on what you can control. You know, what can we do in these situations? Um, you know, I mean, sure, we can all sit here and, and, and cry and be upset. And, but, you know, maybe for a little bit we need to. But now what? Um, we we got to focus on what we can control. And that was a huge, huge focus during COVID when international travel shut down. That, that's our whole business is study abroad. Mm. And there's no travel. Um, and that's really hard. And so it, it was a tough job as a leader to continue to inspire your team when, you know, there's, there's layoffs and, and bankruptcies and, and there are things that are happening. But 
you know, what, what can we control? Well, we're not selling international programs right now, so let's focus on how we can help our university partners. Let's focus on this, like pull everyone together for a brainstorming. What can we do right now that's within our control? And that's, that's just typically how I always want to come back to because everyone has choices. So you can choose to not move forward and you can choose to stay in this bad place for a while, but I, I choose not to. I choose to make it. It doesn't mean I'm not as upset as somebody else. doesn't mean I'm you know, not disappointed or upset or anything. I, I'm, I'm choosing. It's a conscious decision to choose to move forward. I think, though, when you resist the urge to smack somebody around the head, you're actually, <laughs> you're actually denying them the opportunity to learn. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's one way to look at it. Yes. So true. So true. Yeah. It just, but it, it probably, if it works, yeah, it, but it doesn't work, unfortunately. It's just getting our own needs. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's just my way of, of, of framing it. But uh, no, you are you are right. I am only joking, of course. Yeah, you yeah. are right. It's just difficult. That's yeah. all I would say. Sometimes on these situations, is that I think you have to dig deep sometimes. And I'm always curious to know. This is why I was asking the question: Is is it easier for somebody based on their nature to readjust and reframe a situation versus somebody else who might be more, say, more combative or more maybe more pessimistic? And, and then their nature is requires a, a deeper dig, just in the same way as I guess yep. a an a introvert, it's in their nature to 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 need to withdraw and recharge, where an extrovert it's in their nature to to, to be with people to charge up. That's and, right. Uh, that's right. And, and I just yeah. wonder, is it just nature, or is it something we can be? Well, I guess we could all be better at it. You know, I, I think so. And I mean, obviously, I, I do think nature does play a role in that. But I also think that it's it is your responsibility when you're a leader, you know, that that is your responsibility. You know, you do have to um, you have to push people in the, in, the, in the right direction. And that's part of your job. And you have to help them see, you know, that we got to kind of get out of this funk and we've got to move forward. Um, you know, and of course, the COVID is, is an extreme case of what happened. But it's the same situation, same type of situation when a sales rep loses the very big sale that he had been working on for, you know, a year. And that happens, right? Like we got to we got to figure out some things we could talk about it for a little bit. But now we've got to do a little postmortem. What happened? You know, what did we do that maybe we could change or find out why we lost? Um, you know, and, and we, we got to continue learning and, and moving forward. And that's, again, where the leader comes in to say, hey, you know, let me help guide you down this path and let, let's do this together and, and let me help you. But you've got to kind of get them out because, you know, just like, you know, I'm not, I'm not a huge sports analogy, but like baseball, right? You got to, you know, you miss the, the ball or strike. You got to get up. You got to go do it again. I mean, we have to. That's And the leader needs to be there to help their team to do that. That sounds to me like resilience what you're talking about that resilience yeah. to go back right. again and again and again and, and and get better that's right yeah. exactly yeah what you, you talked about people your people in, in sales people who work for you um, what do you look for when you're hiring specifically what's what's most important to you you know I, I, I look for people that really aren't afraid 
you know, they're not afraid, you know, you know and you can, you know, it's, it's one of those soft skills that, you know, you, you pick up that you can't necessarily check off on a box, but they're, they're not afraid. They're not afraid, you know, it's like, we're going to have challenges, you know, pick up the phone and call these people and ask them. Someone says, okay, I'll do that. Not the, oh, I don't know, you know, we called them two weeks ago. Is that something to, you know, and, but people who are just like, oh yeah, let, let me call my client, let me find out what we're doing, or let me call this person, or, you know, they're not afraid, and that that attitude, to me, shows the that can-do attitude. Like they're gonna like, okay, let let's go ahead and do this, because as you know, sales, you know, isn't easy. <laughs> you know, um, it, it it is very hard, and it's hard mentally as well because of a lot of the rejection, the, a lot of different things that are happening. Um, it, it's hard. So you really want to have somebody that has that resilient spirit in them. That yes, bad things are going to happen. We got to learn from it. We've got to accept that, but we can't stay in that state too yeah. long because we've got other things we got to focus on and, and go out and win. Yeah, and there's another category of people I think as well that certainly I would admire hugely are those who are afraid but don't let it stop them. That's right. That's where I feel like that courage comes in, right? Yeah. They're still afraid, but they're doing it anyways. Yeah. And that's yeah. amazing. That that yeah. courage is amazing. Yeah, because you don't need courage if you're not afraid of it. It's the that's ones right. who have courage because that's scalable. Where that's right. somebody's not afraid of something, they might be afraid of something else. That's I right. See them. Yeah, you should see that people when they do presentation. You, I, I remember there was one, one young woman and she was so frightened of standing up in front of people, we initially had to get her standing up with her back to the audience. And even that was terrifying for her. Oh, yeah. And then to just look down and read from a page without looking at people, just baby steps. Huge, each yeah. step for her took Huge far win. more courage than most of the people who could stand up there. And, and she was a huge inspiration to me that she would just That's continue right. to just push through that. And that's so amazing and impressive, right? Because yeah, anyone else could be like, you know, I, yeah, I don't know yeah. if I'm going to do that. But you're right. That's that's so important. I love that courage. Yeah, I'm glad you said that. It's not. I've asked that question a few times, and it's often other. You know, you get other answers like attitude, which are they're all important, by the way, and resilience and yeah. resistance and so on. But uh, I, I, you, you pick courage, and I, I actually think it's the most important. Because without it, the others don't matter. That's right. That's right. Yeah. And, and it's and it you're getting beat down you're getting the rejections and no one feels good about that but guess yeah. what you got to pick up the phone make yeah. another call you've got to continue on and and yeah i think it's, it's so, huge so here's part b of that question then is that courage is important to you in, in in people how do you identify they have courage in, a, in an interview process what yeah. is it you look for what evidence do you get i guess no that's that's true and it's that's always a very difficult skill to identify. And you know, typically what I try to do is is look through some go through some of the behavioral questions and and you know, tell me about a time that, you know, or I'm not using the word courage, but tell me about a time that was very difficult for you, mm. but you went ahead and did it anyways and you know, tell me about that and how did you feel? What did you learn? And you know, so I try to, you know, pull out some of those behavioral questions to get the see what they come up with, what they talk about, and, and how they responded to that. Yeah, although I, I can say from a guy's perspective, for most guys who have ever had to pick the phone up and ask a girl out uh, to a prom <laughs> or to a dance. Right. I I but that's so true, right? That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. 
Yeah, I could, I could, I could sorry. I'm, <laughs> I'm not paying you as my therapist right now, so we shouldn't go there. It's not good. It's not good. <laughs> hilarious. Yeah, we, we're almost up in time, Jennifer. I wanted to ask you a couple of quick questions on. Yes. Um, I ask this question of everybody. I'm always fascinated by the answers. Imagine your house is burning down and your family are safe, your phone and your computer, they're all safe and you're outside and the, the fire officer says to you, okay, you can nip back in and get one item, but you need to be quick. What would you get? What would you pick up? Why? Wow, that's a very good question. Um... You know, my, my first answer is I probably wouldn't go back in and get anything. Um, you know, my, my family's number one. Mm. And I, I also think about, you know, I again, part of that positivity or, or what I think is, is you know, they're number one. I'm, I'm sad that we're losing the house, which would be completely devastating. But we're going to rebuild. We're going to get back to this. And, you know, and, and part of that's probably because I couldn't go in and just pick one thing. So that would probably be the other thing. Like, I just, you know what, we're out. The family's out we're good with what we have and, and you know, we're, we're going to move on this way and, and work together. So that probably my answer is nothing. I wouldn't okay. go back in. Yeah. Um, last question then is when all this is over and there's a book written in your honor, your story of your life, what would you like the title to be? Oh, that's another good one. You know, I would love, I think what's most important to me and I'd love to have a book about, you know, how, how I have made a difference in someone's life, how I have helped to inspire them or help them make a difference in their life that they, that's how they would kind of credit me is that I, I made the difference in their life for the better. Mm. I like, I love that because that's, that's another one of those things that has a multiplier effect as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I, absolutely. Yeah. Jennifer, I can, I can now understand, having read the testimonials about you being a, a, a character, outgoing, uh, a fun to be with, enjoyable, support, all of those positive attributes, I, you, you, you could, I can see them right away. And uh, oh, it's been a joy you. to talk to you. I really appreciate you taking time out to, to come. Oh my God, it's that. my absolute pleasure. Thank you again for reaching out to me. It's, it's just an absolute pleasure. Jennifer Fisher, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you. I appreciate it. Take care.